chapter 10, verse 36. Acts chapter 10, verse 36. We're in the book of Acts. The series is called Let's Go Change the World. And the title of this sermon is Cornelius Part 2. Cornelius, uh, last week we met him, and he has quite a place in the Bible. It's through him that the door of the church and the gospel was opened to the Gentiles. That's you and me if you're not Jewish. And God welcomed people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to receive the free gift of eternal life. And that all started with Cornelius. I don't know what your story is. Do you have a story? Do you have a story of when you learn that you need Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord? For me, I was raised religious. You know, we went to church growing up both holidays, Christmas and Easter. I don't know about you. We were called Christers, and we made it there. I did some religious ed, got confirmed, but really didn't believe it, didn't have any relationship with God at all. So when I was a freshman in college, my friend invited me to church. He was the bass player in my heavy metal band. That's right. I was in a heavy metal band. I was the drummer. And he invited me to church. He went to church every weekend. Check out this picture. This is a picture of my friend Andy, who invited me to church. That's the bass player. And then that, those are a few of our concerts that we were at. So I decided to go to church. And I heard that it doesn't matter if I'm religious. It doesn't matter if I'm good, virtuous. If I avoid all the big sins, none of that matters. What matters is if Jesus Christ has saved my soul. And at that point, he had not. So I heard about Jesus, and finally one night I knelt down next to my bed and asked Jesus to save me. And I want you to know this morning that you are saved and going to heaven forever and ever. Do you have a story of when you learned that you need Jesus to save you, that religion is not enough, good personism is not enough, avoiding the big sins is not enough, being better behaved than your brother is not enough, you need to be saved. Well, today you can hear through Cornelius' story what it means to be a saved person. He was a centurion. Here's a picture of what a centurion may have looked like. Uh, a centurion was tough, charge of 100 Roman soldiers, could have been fine on his own, and yet he was a devout worshiper of the Jewish God. And when he feared God, God directed an angel to, to direct him to Peter, where he would learn about Jesus Christ. And Peter, sharing the gospel with this man, broke down a huge barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. So the church was flung wide open to people from anywhere around the whole world. We're going to learn today Peter's sermon, from Peter's sermon, how to get to heaven. And I want you to know before you leave today that you are, in fact, going to heaven according to the Bible. Not according to your own hunch, not according to what somebody told you, but because the Bible says you are on your way to heaven. Let's pray. Father, I pray for everyone here today, everyone who's joining us online. I pray that they would ask themselves right now, are they going to heaven? Are they going to heaven? And would the Bible agree? Are they right with you? Are they saved by the grace of Jesus Christ forever and ever? Lord, I pray that your spirit would move freely in this room. And I pray that through your word, you would show us how we can get to heaven what it means to be in a right relationship with you, and to have evidence that you are at work in our lives. We pray this through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, in Acts chapter 10, verse 36, this was a two-parter. So part one is online on our app. You can go find that if you'd like to. But part two, we're continuing. Peter shows up, and we have a map here. Can we put that picture of the map up on the screen? The Apostle Peter started out in Jerusalem. He went out west. We took him through Lydda. We took him through Joppa. Then he ended up all the way up in Caesarea. That's where our story takes place today. 
And so in Acts 10, verse 36, here's what Peter continues to say. He says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Okay, so Peter is preaching to Cornelius and everyone he could cram into his living room. Everyone come, an angel appeared to me and told me that there's going to be this guy coming. And then and he got everyone, he got his whole living room full. And then when Peter showed up, the centurion Cornelius made a mistake. He fell down to worship Peter and Peter was like, get up, I'm going to get in trouble. And I've already gotten in trouble in the Bible many times, okay? So get up. I'm a man just like you. And then Cornelius like, okay, okay, I'll get up. And he sits down. And they're all wide-eyed, and they're ready to hear what Peter has to say. This is what Peter then says to them. And we're going to follow Peter's sermon here, and we're going to learn what God has to say to us. So in your bulletin, there's a note sheet, and the first thing you can write down is this. Who is Jesus? The first question Peter's sermon addresses is, who is Jesus? Who is he? And he says in verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Wow. So Jesus is called Lord of all. The question, who is Jesus, is the biggest question you will ever answer in your life. Who is Jesus? Jesus asked people when he was alive, who do you say that I am? That's the biggest test you will ever have to pass. I know you've had a lot of tests in this life. Spelling tests, science tests, social study tests. You've had a lot of tests. The biggest test you will ever have to pass is the one question. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Who does your life say that he is. The Bible says he is the Lord of all. You can write this down. He is the bringer of good, great news from heaven. He is the bringer of great news from heaven. It says, as for the word that he sent to Israel. So God is sending something first to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. So this good news comes from heaven through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the bringer of great news from heaven. Have you received any great news lately? Put up your hand if you received some great news lately. Anybody? I mean, like you heard some happy stuff. Big smile on your face. You were like, oh, oh, this is a day of great news. I've heard some great news recently. My daughter got engaged last year, so she's getting married this July. That's great news when I found that out. I even like her fiancé. That makes it even better. 
Pastor Alex arrives safely. You know, Ukraine is at war. If you are 18 to uh, 59, you can't leave the country. You cannot leave. The government will not let you leave. You'll be stopped at the border. It's even dangerous to try and get out. Pastor Alex got permission to come here for three weeks because of a Samaritan's Purse conference. He's free to come up here while he's in the country. That's great news. I was like, wow, Alex is going to be here for Easter? Wow, that's great news. Maybe you got great news recently. A couple weekends ago, we just saw the highlight video. We had over 100 students, teenagers, at our student evangelism conference learning to share their faith with other people. That video you saw was of a student calling his friend and asking him if he wanted to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, and that friend said yes. These students are taking initiative. That's great news. But listen, the best news this world has ever received is that Jesus came down to save us. That's the best news that we could ever hear. It's the good news, and it's from heaven. Write this down. We can have peace with God. We can have peace with God. It says here, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes when people think of peace with God, they get the wrong idea in mind. I used to like Seinfeld. Do you like Seinfeld? You ever watch Seinfeld? George's dad had big anger issues, and so one day he discovered a uh, cassette tape series called Serenity Now. You remember that? Serenity Now. So anytime he was going to have a hard moment throughout his day, he was supposed to pause and reflect and say, Serenity Now, only because he was so tightly wound, he would shout it out, Serenity Now! Serenity Now! And try and calm down. For a lot of people, that's what peace is. They just want to calm down right? They just want to calm down. Taylor Swift sang a whole song about calm down because our whole world needs to calm down at times. That's not the kind of peace I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a chill out. I'm talking about a peace with God that ends the insurgency that you and I have waged against him from the day we were born. Do you see the Bible teaches we were at war with God? Hostility, enmity and strife we want to live lives our way and so jesus had to come down with terms of peace to end that war here's a picture of some world war ii photos and this is one of my favorite stories to share when i talk about this idea of peace with god you see there on the left general montgomery monty negotiating the surrender of a large portion of the german troops toward the end of world war ii the Germans had surrendered, and now their general was discussing terms of peace. All morning long, they haggled. We don't want that. We're not going to agree to that. And it got frustrating. General Montgomery said, let's take a lunch break. They came back after the lunch break, and General Montgomery walked up to the map. And he said, gentlemen, this is the position of all of your forces. And this is the position of all of my forces. We are about to completely and entirely destroy your entire army, and I would take great delight in doing so. So unless you, number one, surrender your entire force and army right now unconditionally, number two, there is no number two. Number three, once you do un unconditionally entirely surrender your entire forces, I will tell you what will happen with your army. One, two, three, done. And that's how it ended. Friends, that's how it goes between you and me and God. 
Number one, you will entirely surrender your entire life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, there is no number two. Number three, once you surrender your entire life to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will have peace with God, and he will take over, and he will do a far better job than you being the Lord of your life. That's salvation. Who is Jesus? The bringer of great news from heaven. We can have peace with God. Yes, once you do have that peace with God, it does result in peace of the heart and peace of the soul. That peace surpasses all understanding and it lasts regardless of any chaos that is in your life. But it starts in your relationship when you are reconciled to God. Your relationship with God could be marked by harmony, affection, holiness, and tremendous confidence with the Father above. But it happens when peace comes to you from heaven. All of this comes from, if you want to jot these down, you can check them out later, but Psalm 107, 20, Isaiah 52, 7, Isaiah 61, 1 to 2. The Old Testament talks about a bringer of great news from heaven who will deliver peace with God. This is the plan. Cornelius was hearing it from Peter, and the question is, who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Do you believe Jesus is the bringer of great news from heaven? Only through him can we have peace with God. Jot this down. And then you can have that by accepting Jesus as Lord of all. You can have that peace with God by accepting Jesus as Lord of all. It says here, the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Christ means Messiah, the promised ruler spoken of in the Old Testament. Lord of all, the word Lord can be a title of God, and it means he has the supreme power over everything in the universe. He is Lord of all. Not a buddy, not an icon, not a myth, not a fraud. He's the most powerful person alive. Is that who you say he is? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he your Lord, the rightful ruler of your life, the only king of eternity? Do you believe this? Your eternity depends on your answer to this question. That's why Peter goes here first. Who is Jesus? And I got to tell you, deciding not to answer the question is an answer. Deciding to just shrug your shoulders and say, who can know? That's getting written down in, in the heavens. Books are being kept of every single thing we do and we don't do. Who do you say he is? So number one, who is Jesus? The bringer of great news from heaven. We can have peace with God by accepting him as Lord of all. It goes on to say, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Peter is now going to share why we should believe this. Here's who Jesus is. Here's why we should believe it. So the second question, you can jot this down. Why should I believe this? Why should I believe this? Sometimes the Bible tells us how to do something, right? How to say you're sorry. We don't like to do that, do we? So the Bible will tell us how to humble ourselves. But other times the Bible tells us why we should do things, right? Proverbs is full of cause and effect. Do this because otherwise these terrible things will happen to you. Now we're given a motive. Why should I believe this? And the church is a place where you should expect to find answers to your questions. 
This is a place where you should be able to ask, why should I believe that? I want you to know that this is a place where you can get your hard questions answered. In fact, right now, just say to me, why? Come on. Yeah, but say it with a little sass. That's okay. Maybe you don't have teenagers. All right. When you say it with sass, it sounds like this. Why? They find those extra ways at the end to turn the knife. Hey, I got to tell you, why would we believe this? All right. Well, he says here, you yourselves know, so they were aware in the region of what was going on, what had happened. So this was, you know, three years after Jesus had died, rose again. You yourselves know what had happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. So John the Baptist baptized Jesus. He proclaimed a baptism of repentance, and he made the way for the Lord to come. So John the Baptist opened the way and clearly proclaimed, this is the Messiah. Now, they didn't like John, so they killed him, and they didn't like Jesus, so they killed him too. But it's very clear what was going on. John the Baptist called everyone to repent, to believe the good news. John bridged the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is really important because that's where Cornelius needed to go. He was worshiping God in a Jewish manner. He needed to now understand the truth about Jesus and come under the new covenant. Sometimes people are confused by the Bible. You know, I went to four years of Bible college, and I'll sum it up for you very simply, okay? The Old Testament, every page, got the world ready for Jesus to come. The New Testament, every page, got the world ready for Jesus to come again, all right? Four years I had to study to share that right now. A lot of money. You can write it down and save yourself all the time, okay? It really is that simple. The Old Testament, everything going on there got the world ready for Jesus to come. So John handed it over from the Moses, you know, the old to the new. But God had one plan from the beginning. So John transitioned over and he said some things about Jesus that were profound. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, if you know your Old Testament, you know the Lamb of God was in Moses' day. They, they offered the Lamb and then they put the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost and then the judgment of God passed by the Israelites and fell on the Egyptians. So the blood of Christ who dies on the cross for us will turn away the wrath of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There is a congruence between the Old Testament and the New. So why should I believe this? Well, write this down. God called Jesus his son and the Holy Spirit came upon him. So Jesus got baptized <clears throat> to identify with the human plight. And John the Baptist baptized him. Heaven was opened up. <clears throat> and God said, this is my son whom I love. This is my son. Now, you might be like, well, we're all children of God. Not like this. Jesus is the only sinless, eternal son of God. We have to be adopted into God's family through faith, not Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus said in the book of John, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Guess what? Before the world existed, you wasn't. All right? I wasn't. Before anything existed, Jesus is talking about what it was like to be there in glory. That makes him a divine being. He is God the Son. So God opened up the heavens and said, This is my Son 
whom I love. <clears throat> then the Holy Spirit came down on him. Jesus, of course, became fully man and fully God. As a man, he needed the empowering of the Holy Spirit to come upon him. Trinitarian. So the Spirit came upon him. It says here in verse 38, talking about the baptism, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So because God called Jesus his son and the Holy Spirit came upon him, we can believe that this is true. Raise your hand if you've been to the Holy Land. Have you been to the Holy Land? Raise your hand if you've gone to Israel, okay? Raise your hand if you got baptized in the Jordan River again when you were there. Anybody get baptized in the Jordan River? There we go. There we go. Right where Jesus did. Can you imagine there the skies opening up and a voice booming down? This is my son and the Spirit falling upon him. You can believe this because God the Father and God the Spirit affirmed the Son was the Messiah. So God called Jesus his son, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then write this down. Jesus demonstrated supreme power over everything. Jesus demonstrated supreme power over everything. It says he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, verse 38, and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He had power over everything and anything. Do you remember Jesus had power over the weather? If I go outside and talk to the sky, it doesn't listen. If I say snow stop, it snows harder. Jesus looks up and says, be still. And the storm stops and the lake gets calm. Do you, can you imagine the physics, the mathematics that went into that? With his voice, he did it. He calmed the storm. Jesus demonstrated great power over nature. He cursed a tree and it died. It was an object lesson, all right? He wasn't just mad at a tree that didn't have food for him, okay? The tree represented Israel that was failing to bear fruit. And he cursed it, and the next day it was dead, root all the way up to the top. Wow. Took away life from the tree. That's exactly what happened to the nation, too. The miraculous catch, several miraculous catches. Hey, you haven't caught anything all night. No, go on back out there and throw the net on the other side. Oh, we were throwing the net on the wrong side of the boat. The fish were all over here. No, that's not the point. The point is Jesus told all the fish to swim into the net with his brain. And they did it. This is amazing power. Sickness. Don't be fooled by the TV preachers. You've never seen anything like this in your life, where every single person with any illness in an entire city gets healed. On the spot, you've never seen a hospital emptied out because of a miraculous person with this gift going in there and healing every single thing for hours and hours and hours and hours on the spot. You have never seen anything like that in your life, ever. Jesus did it time and time and time again, city after city after city after city, and his apostles did it too. No one on earth has done it since. Wow, it's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, supreme power. And then what about the spiritual realm? He talked to demons. He talked to demons, all right? And they shrieked in terror and begged for mercy and ran for their lives because of his power 
in the spiritual realm. He had supreme power over the weather, tree, fish, sickness, demons, death. He said, Lazarus, come out and death let go. He has power to tell death what to do. This is incredible power. Why should I believe this? Because Jesus has supreme power over everything. Do you know your world is at the mercy of much greater natural forces than you can control? Hello, tornado sirens going off Friday night. Do you know that your world is at the mercy of much greater supernatural forces that you can't even detect, let alone control? In this life, if you are standing alone, you don't stand a chance. Jesus demonstrated supreme power over everything. The powers on earth will devour you eventually, and then the dark powers of hell will take it from there. Here on earth, hell will even oppress you, mislead you, blind you, condemn you, and then for eternity you will be theirs. It should terrify you. But Jesus has power over all of it. You should believe in him. Why should I believe this? Well, God called Jesus his son. Holy Spirit came upon him. He had supreme power over everything. Write this down. The disciples witnessed it all and wrote it down. The disciples witnessed it all and wrote it down. So he goes on to say this in verse 39. Peter said, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So they, they saw it and they wrote it down. They saw it and they wrote it down. Now, there are books written about the reliability of the Bible, the authors who wrote the Bible. They were everyday people who witnessed all of it and wrote it down. They were authorized to write on behalf of God. They weren't just left to themselves. The Bible says that God breathed through these men, and therefore the Holy Spirit was the author and editor of the Scripture. But they wrote down what they saw. They saw it with their own eyes. And boy, did they make fools of themselves. They were not making it up. Because if they were making it up, they made themselves look like morons, all right? Now let's make up a part where none of us believe him. Now let's make up a part where we run away screaming in terror and don't believe him again. They were fools. You know how many people showed up at the tomb to watch Jesus rise from the dead? None. All right, which is why Easter, I've always said we celebrate Easter wrong. Easter should start by driving to a cemetery. That's where it began. And expecting something to happen. Then go around scaring your relatives all day long. Scare them real good, because that's what Jesus did. He just kept showing up and scaring people. He's alive! <laughs> Happy Easter. Easter should be a lot more like Halloween. All right, here's what I'm saying. The point is this. The disciples saw it, and they wrote an accurate account and made themselves look like fools because they didn't believe it. The disciples witnessed it all and wrote it down. So you can trust that Jesus is Lord. Who is Jesus? Bringer of great news from heaven. We could have peace with God by accepting him as Lord. Why should I believe this? Well, God called him his son. The Holy Spirit came down on him. Jesus had supreme power over everything, and the disciples witnessed it and wrote it down. Number three, Peter's sermon now talks about this. Number three, how are we saved then? Okay, okay, maybe I do believe this. Okay, then how can I get saved? So reading on, it says this in verse 39. It says, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, for they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, that's a cross, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear. 
This is the basic gospel. This is the good news. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify. That word testify means to solemnly warn, to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Okay, how are we saved? Well, first of all, you got to understand, you do need to get saved. A lot of people never get this. They think they need to be taught. They think they need to be good. They think they need to be pious. They, They don't think they need to be saved. Here's a rescue picture. Check it out. One of the uh, best rescue pictures I've ever seen. This woman got hit by a truck. Her daughter is in the back seat. That's her car wrapped over the side of a bridge. The truck went over the bridge, burst into flames, and the driver died. The rescue crew arrived on the scene and got a crane from uh, the other side of the bridge to hold her car up where they could rescue her and her daughter. Can you see her there? You can barely see her. Okay, that's you. Okay, that's you. Do you understand? You're not getting out of that alive. So if Jesus didn't take it from there and pull your helpless soul out of certain death, you're not saved. If you think that you've done enough good things to merit your way into heaven, you're deceived. You're deceived. That's you. Have you cried out for rescue from heaven because your soul is doomed. That's why he had to come down. How are we saved? Well, you have to realize you have to be saved. Jot this down. Believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. These are the basics. It says he died, verse 39. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Why do they call it a tree? Sometimes people are like, why do they call it a tree? Why don't they just say cross? It comes from Deuteronomy 21, 22, to 23. Easy to remember. Anyone who dies on a tree, impaled or nailed to it, is cursed and rejected by God. So Jesus became the embodiment of our rejection of God and God's rejection of us. He died in our place, and then he rose again on the third day, verse 40 says, and God made him to appear. So Jesus died on the cross for your sin, to take away your sin, and he rose again, and he now rules heaven. Here's a picture of the cross, Jesus, at one movie's rendition of it, Jesus is not up there uh, just being a, a good humanitarian or setting a positive example. He's carrying the full weight of your sin to judgment so that God can dismiss it. And then here's a picture of the tomb or one artist's rendition of it. On the third day, the grave was opened and Jesus rose again, never to die, and he exalted now to the right hand of the Father where he is in charge of heaven forever and ever. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Do you believe he rose again? If you have faith in that, you will be saved. I was watching uh, Home Improvement when I was a kid. You watch Home Improvement with Tim the Toolman Taylor. How many of you have seen that program? I'm dating myself, but that's okay. Dan Aykroyd was in an episode as a priest. Tim Allen was talking to him about church, and here's what Tim Allen said. I know how church works. You go to church, you get a credit. You give, you get extra credit. You fall asleep, you lose a credit. Some of you have lost a credit today. (laughs) Then when you get up there, the big guy decides if you have enough credit and you get in. 
A lot of people live their lives that way, and that is totally unbiblical. You will never have enough credit to get into heaven. That's why the Bible says it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And guess what? It says in verse 45, it is the gift of God. Gift, not by works, so that no one can boast. Have you done this? That's how you get saved. When God, you can't do it. You need Jesus to save you. You need him to give you this grace. Then you can be worthy of acceptance by a holy God. And you need to be saved. Jot this down because he will judge everyone in the end. He'll judge everyone in the end. Write that down. It says in verse 42, we are to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. He will judge everyone in the end. There will be a judgment. There will be books. And everything in your book is going to condemn you. Nothing in your book is going to be like, ooh, went on a service trip to the poor in uh, South America, let her in. Nothing in your book is going to lead you to be worthy of heaven. That's why another book is open. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. If your name is among those who have accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, you're welcomed in based on Christ's merit, not on your own. That's it. I used to be a teacher. So here's the simplest way I could put it. You get an F, Jesus gets an A. Jesus goes over to your F, he erases your name. He puts his name on your F and takes your failure. Then he goes over to his A and erases his name and puts your name on it. You get his A, he gets your F, that's how you get to heaven. If you still think your paper is good enough, you're not getting in. Because you're proud and self-righteous and very much deceived. He will judge everyone in the end. And friends, I need you to know what this is going to be like. Daniel 7, 9 says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. That's your future. You will stand before the fiery presence of a holy God and give an account for your life. It says in verse 13, I saw and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That's Jesus. He came to the ancient of days. That's God was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. When you stand in that moment and your eternity is being decided, there's only one thing you can say that will save your soul. I'm with him. I'm with him. That's it. That's it. Your badges will not matter in that moment. Are you ready for the judgment? Believe he will judge everyone in the end. Jot this down. Believe Jesus is the promised Savior. Jesus is the promised Savior. So it says to him, all the prophets, verse 43, bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So all the prophets, I just read from Daniel, talked about Jesus being the promised Savior. He's the one. He's the one. And the kingdom of God, led by Christ, will outlast the entire passing parade of human empires, including our own. His kingdom will have no end. 
Write this down. So ask him to forgive you for all of your sins. That's how we're saved. Believe he died on the cross, rose again. Believe he'll judge everyone in the end. Believe Jesus is the promised Savior and ask him to forgive all your sins. You can be pardoned of all charges that would condemn you freely because of the judge. Alistair Begg put it best. Check out this great quote from Alistair Begg on what it means to be saved. He's talking about the thief on the cross. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense... I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because I, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did you, <laughs> excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now... Now, that's the, that is the only answer. 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 How are we saved? Jesus saves your soul forever. That's it. Is that your answer? And then jot this down. What happens after we're saved? What happens after we're saved? This looks ahead to everything we'll unpack in the weeks to come. What happens after we're saved? A beautiful picture of how all nations we're welcomed into the church at this point, having access to the same holy presence and the power of God. It says in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, so Peter's talking, 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 and then the Holy Spirit fell, verse 44, on all who heard the word. Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, not a force, not a ghost, not a vibe. The person of the Trinity fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's a gift, was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues, that's other known or unknown languages, and extolling God. Then Peter declared, how can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. What a picture of the Spirit of God falling freely on those who are not of his original people in Israel. The gates of the church are now wide open to anyone from any background. Jot this down. After we get saved, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you. This is God with us. It is the Spirit of Christ but they are different. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, but they are identical in essence. Therefore it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So God is with us, and in that Jesus said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. We therefore become temples of the living God. It's not normative to speak in tongues when you get saved. 
It's exceptional in Scripture, and it's certainly not required. It's a demonstration as a sign and a wonder that salvation had come to this new group of people in this text. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Usually the evidence of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the manifestation of the Spirit in your life. You become a new creation. Jot this down. He encourages, empowers, and guides you. He encourages, empowers, and guides you. Throughout the Bible, you will see that the Spirit is with the people of God in community. You're not alone. Whether you're reading your Bible in the morning and sensing God's presence, or around church family members and feeling His love, whether you get a chance to go and assist somebody and your spirit just swells with joy, God will tell you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. You'll grow on to maturity, and year after year, those around you will see that you're not the same person. And they will rejoice because God has transformed you. Or some who don't know Jesus and don't know God might be upset because you seem to be doing better than them in life. What happens after we're saved? The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. He encourages, empowers, and guides you. And jot this down. You become a witness, so publicly share your faith. You become a witness. He wants you to go. He wants to send you to go and tell everybody how he's transformed you. It says here, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So they publicly profess their faith in the Lord. So we are to go and tell the world of our faith in Jesus Christ, how he saved us and transformed us. Have you publicly declared your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I grew up in a tradition where I was baptized as a baby. They taught me that that actually washed away my sins, which is unbiblical. So after I truly got saved, I got baptized again as an adult, and I told the world Jesus washed away my sins. Some traditions, like my wife's background, she was baptized as a baby. They didn't teach her that it saved her. They said, well, it just welcomes you into the spiritual community. But then after her reading of the book of Acts, she felt convicted that she should get baptized after her profession of faith so that she could show everybody that her sins were washed away, not by her parents, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to get baptized publicly to tell the world, I am saved by Jesus Christ. He has washed away my sins and forgiven me forever. That's what it means when you start going public and telling everybody you are saved. What I want to do now is I want to give you a chance to respond to the gospel you've just heard. I want you to have an opportunity to get saved. Then we're going to finish this service outside with a brief 10-minute ribbon-cutting ceremony. We've even got the giant scissors. Watch out. Where we commemorate our desire as a church to go out into the community over the next thousand days. So let's pray, and then we'll head outside to finish the service. Father, I'm sure right now there are some who came into this room, and maybe they thought they were good with you, but now they realize that they need a Savior. Maybe they're thinking of that day of judgment when your fiery throne will consume everything in their entire life and will lay their heart bare. All of their secrets will come out. Everything that they should have done will be known, and they will be condemned. I pray that they would see their need for a Savior, because if they stand alone, they will fall. And Lord, maybe there are those who came into this room today, and they are very aware of their failure. In fact, they would have, they would have thought you would never accept a person like them after what they've done, what's been done to them. Surely they are ruined. Lord, show them that your grace is for all. And because it's a free gift, 
they are going to be unworthy of it, but you still offer it to them. You accepted the Apostle Paul a few weeks ago in our text, even though he had killed Christians. You gave him your grace and forgave him of all of his sins. Paul said he was the chief of all sinners, and he was saved that the mercy of God might be displayed to others. Lord, I pray that there would be some who trust in your mercy today, that there would be some who reach out and receive the free gift of eternal life. In their own hearts, may they pray this right now. Father, forgive me. Forgive me, for I have sinned. I've broken your law, and I'm guilty. Jesus, save me of all of my sins. Prepare a place for me in heaven, and use me as a witness on earth. If you pray that in your heart, you are born again. And Jesus will bring about the fruit of his spirit. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he wants you to be a light shining in the darkness because this world needs us to share the truth with them. We pray all of this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. All right, are you ready for a fun way to end the service? Grab your coat. Go out the front door. I'll meet you out there. And we're going to have a special ceremony to inaugurate our three-year vision. Let's head outside for a few minutes.